For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, two college students set off to make smoking safer and bring down big tobacco. But was their solution worse than the problem? We'll discuss the Netflix series, Big Vape, The Rise and Fall of Jewel. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us. Who will save your soul? <laughs> it's not that Jewel. You sure? I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's not a nymphette from Alaska. Oh, a nymphette? Yeah, she's so cute. Oh, okay, all right. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Welcome back, Laura. Thanks, Rebecca. I had a pumpkin butterscotch scone recently, so I'm feeling very cozy in Queen AF Exeter. that sounds great. You know, I have always sort of eschewed and poo-pooed the whole pumpkin spice thing, never really got it. I mean, pumpkin is delicious. It is a delicious flavor. I love pumpkin desserts and so forth. But I just bought, Kevin and I have this very fancy Italian, uh, Swiss, sorry, Swiss coffee maker. And... um, we, I just bought, I buy these like Toronto, uh, you know, like syrup sometimes, just like yeah. a little treat. I just bought the pumpkin spice one. And I, and I was like, it came and Kevin was like, that's gross. I'm like, I know. But what if someone comes over and wants to try it? Let's just have it in the house. Which happens all the time. Just do it, Rebecca. I, I get a pump. Oh, yeah. Lara, I've been like mainlining that shit. It is delicious. Yeah, I, know. I know. Every morning I'm like, I don't even like sweet, sweet coffee. And I'm like, <laughs> it is so good. <laughs> <laughs> that that <laughs> noise, by the way, was Rebecca miming, pressing the top of the, the pump. That's what she's doing with the coffee. She's pumping up. Yeah, it's yeah. Good. I'm sorry. It's, it's not good. pumping out. Yeah. yeah, and it's also yeah, it's so good. It's so good. So I'm I'm down with that. Uh, yeah, I'm basic as hell. I've become basic <laughs> as hell. And finally, our resident doubting Thomas, the author of the City trilogy of novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, and cosplaying as Raging Bull, <laughs> the totally unbasic Toby Ball. Hey, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. That black eye's getting better this week. Yeah, it's it's really improved since our last our last episode. <laughs> last time we since forty five minutes ago. Hey, don't pull back the curtain that much. Oh, okay. Um, Oz, Toby, what is your favorite uh, coffee syrup enhancer? I yeah, I don't really. I just go with the the basic black. Me too. Really? I used to. Yeah. Except occasionally, I would do a little half pump of like um, caramel or something if I was feeling like a little desserty. When I was a child, I liked hazelnut. And yeah. by child, I mean like 30. But mm. um, <laughs> I used to do a little hazelnut here and there. But now I just, just give me the, give me black coffee. Yeah. Oh God, how depressing. I like a little how almond. Depressing. I like a little amaretto in my, not like the alcohol. Like I like a little almond yep. in the coffee. That's yep. always good. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I like hazelnut or French vanilla. The only pumpkin I actually like is when they the Reese's peanut butter cups come in pumpkin shapes. Oh yeah, oh that's you know like oh that's the good stuff. You don't like pumpkin pie? Yeah, pumpkin pie is okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, I'm like the I'm like the little child of well, I am the little child. I, I also like coconut. Like I go oh, to dunks sometimes, and I like the coconut coffee. Mm. <laughs> sometimes you feel like a nut. I kind of it's I'm the same way with beer. It's just like I don't need you like coconut beer. No, he, doesn't weird, he doesn't want shit in his beer. Fruit in my beer. Yeah, I don't like I that give either. Me a, give me a beer and, or give me a coffee. You know, if I want fruit, I'll get like a pumpkin muffin or something. Mm. This is like the perfect segue. So Toby would not have been into the mango jewel. Toby just wanted like oh, good straight. Oh. I, I, all I could say, mango, there's a place in Alexandria, Virginia called Mango Mike's that we went to. <laughs> and it was like everything would, had mango in it, including their beer. And I went and had so many mango beers one night, and it just ruined me for fruity beers. You were really, nah. really bound up? Uh, it was not good. Was it the Magic Hat number nine? No, it was Mango Mike's, you know, magical oh. mango malt or something. Mm. I, you know, this was is there like, a male strip review show at Mango Mike's? Mango Mike's, yeah, it's, uh, 
Yeah, I don't. E- I mean, I don't even know how long the thing was there. We we're just like, oh, mango mics. That sounds kind of interesting. So we went and drank too many mango beers, and yeah, the rest is history. What uh, a great story! I'm sure our yeah. sure our audience loved that one. <laughs> <laughs> great content. All right, yeah, t- I got another one for you. <laughs> Listen, nothing is ever going to beat your Hello Magazine analysis. Nothing. No. That was hilarious. All right, so Kevin, what is coming up on next Monday's podcast? Well, I got to let you know that on on Thursday we're going to have a um, a CWO Classic Rewind. Uh oh, those are always trouble. Yeah, we're going to be talking about one of our most infamous reviews. Uh oh, the one for Happy Face. Oh, sad face. Sad face. Uh, AKA my dad, the serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> and you know why we're doing the rerun? Why? Because we're celebrating your fiftieth birthday. That's right. Happy birthday, Rebecca. Yay! I feel have... like we've been talking about that for way too many shows. Uh, well, I it's finally here. Yes, and you still look great. And and nobody has hired me to be their um, personal coach yet at five hundred dollars an hour. I'm very disappointed. Uh, Life coach. Sorry, Rebecca. I would have hired you, but I spent that money and I bought myself a massage chair. Oh. Uh, there is an incredible <laughs> thread going on on the Mary with Podcast Facebook page of yeah. people saying, like, I am their life coach listening to Mary with Podcast on our Patreon and stuff. They've given I've given such good advice on like um, mom and dad are fighting on slate yeah, and so see, forth. So I'm like, I'm giving it away for free, man. No, for five dollars a month, that is not appropriate life coach uh, rates. Yeah, I, I think it is. Five bucks? You're not going to survive as a life coach on five bucks a month. Yeah, but if a bunch of people do it, yeah, it's a lot of lives to coach, though. Yeah, I can do it. I can do, you do make it. Make them like get naked and like walk for thirty five miles and. No like scorching heat or anything. No, not really that's a life dickish. Coach. That's I'll, dickish. I'll pay them five dollars a month if I get them to do that. No, but I do give really good advice. I do. I give good advice. If you join our Patreon mm-hmm. and write me a note, and if you're a member of our Patreon, when you have question, I'll write you back some good advice. How about them apples? You've actually written people's online dating profiles for them, right? I know. I have written people's online. You read da- mine. I have edited. <laughs> I I made that offer. AI Lavoy here. I made that offer on this show. Yeah. If you are, and I'm telling you, if you're a member of our Patreon, I'll do anything for you. If you write to me, I'll give you advice. I'll rewrite your dating profile. I'll help you with your resume. Like I am good at this shit, and you, I am at your service. I'm at your damn service. You are trying so hard. I, I I I'm not being thirsty. I enjoy doing it. And if you're doing something to help us out, I will do something to help you out. But your question was, what are we going to be talking about in upcoming shows? Week from today on Monday, we're going to be talking about uh, the series from HBO Max. It's called Navajo Police Class 57. And then we're going to be talking about the new podcast from Dateline. It's called Murder in Apartment 12. Ooh, Toby can't wait for that one. I love Dateline. Oh, goody. All right. I wonder if Kimberly and Katie have listened to that one yet. If if you want to hear something about Dateline, the only place to go is Date with Dateline. Literally, they are so great. They're so good, great friends sure, of the show. I'm sure we asked them if they like this. The one time we said, "What did you guys think of this Dateline podcast?" And they were like, "Well, of course we're going to say we liked it," <laughs> which is why we haven't asked them back to comment on any Dateline podcast because we already know what they're going to say. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time to talk about the documentary series we're going to be talking about. So, should we get that going, Kevin? Let's do it. All right, let's go ahead and smoke that first clip right now. Leading off. James is like, can we take all the bad stuff out and still get the stuff we like? And that's kind of where James and Adam kicked off. Grad students James Monsies and Adam Bowen envisioned a new technology, one that would give smokers like them the hit of nicotine they craved without the carcinogens of a combustible cigarette. After a decade of refining vape products, they finally achieved commercial success with Juul. I knew that it was significant when I took the first couple of puffs because the nicotine delivery was far better than anything I'd ever tried. To be honest with you, I not only got a head rush, I almost like vomited. It was that strong. But instead of reaching smokers wanting to quit, Juul's biggest customer base were young people attracted by their fruity flavors and extra pop of nicotine. Instead of being an alternative to big tobacco, the company had its own problems with regulations, parents, and public health officials. I think Juul should have asked the question, if we make the greatest e-cig in the world, is that a good idea? Is that a thing we should bring into the world? 
But once they decided to, a lot of what happened after that feels sort of inevitable to me. With users, experts, and former employees, Netflix's Big Vape, The Rise and Fall of Juul, chronicles the history of the controversial tobacco product. Did Juul's mission backfire, making the public health crisis it tried to mitigate only worse? Or did its financial success blind its creators to the inevitable outcomes of perfecting smokeless tobacco? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Big Vape. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, I want to start with an existential question that ended up becoming a little debate between Kevin and I when we finished watching the show. And I'm going to ask all three of you to answer this question. Mm -hmm. The founders of this company, they started at Stanford uh, inventing this idea Did they have purely good intentions when they invented the idea of the smokeless cigarette? Yes or no, Laura Bricker, what do you think? I think at face value they did, but I also think they thought they were going to make money. Okay. What do you think, Toby? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, it's not just pure altruism, right? They want to change the world and make a billion dollars. Okay, Kevin? Yeah, both things are true. You you know, when you start a business, you think you're going to disrupt the marketplace. I, again, yeah, I think that they did have the intention of making the world healthier. They, you know, they enjoyed smoking. They understood what was bad about it. But did they like, were they starting a nonprofit? No, they were not doing that. It, it was a business. But I don't want to say like they wanted to be the Ben and Jerry's of tobacco products or something like that. But I feel like they did have good intentions, as they say, because they were able to get like employees to come on board and like buy into this mission. But I mean, I think it's a great story of good intentions and unintended consequences. Every business is about making money, but I believe this was, you know, out of a true desire to, you know, improve the that industry for the better. And I do like Greek tragedy, so like hubris is like a great dramatic thing that I'm drawn to. So their business story is nevertheless troubling. Hmm. Can I just kind of follow up on that? Sure. I think in this kind of situation where you have... Like I have this one like really sort of high minded ideal and I also want to make a lot of money. Like those two things generally come into conflict and it's like, which one are you going to sort of cast your lot with? And I think it's pretty clear that they cast their lot with, I want to make a bunch of money. Like there was another route they could have gone, which would have had this be like almost like a medical device for getting people to wean them off of cigarettes. But that's Correct. not what they did. They're like, we want to be ubiquitous. We want to be freaking everywhere. We want to be Apple. Yeah. My initial answer was probably too kind in that I think I, I think having this high-minded idea is a good way of selling and rationalizing the fact that you are going to be providing an addicting product to a whole bunch of people. And what you're basically saying is, well, it's not going to kill you as quickly as, as cigarettes. Like Mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to get lung cancer from this, but in reality, you're still pushing something with the idea that people are going to get addicted to it and need to use it all the time. Correct. So here's, here's my take. And um, then we can, then we can move on. People who are in this program in Stanford, this program that lots and lots of tech entrepreneurs have come out of, They go into these design thinking projects and the outcome that is desired is what can I invent that will be a successful disruptor in a market that will be a successful moneymaker? That is the desired outcome. That is what design thinking is all about. And the market, and they looked at this marketplace and all the things that were for sale. And what is one of the biggest things you can disrupt is this huge money-making tobacco industry. They see the lock the tobacco industry has, and they see that the tobacco industry has a product that is addictive. And they're like, oh, if we can disrupt that, kind of the way Warby Parker disrupted the lock that opticians have on jacking people when they sell these expensive-ass glasses At scale, that is fucking huge. And so that was the first thought that came to these design thinkers, I believe, and not how many lives can we save? Because if I believe if it was how many lives we could save, they'd be like going the, the pharma or research route, not the design thinking route. That's my opinion. And I, and I, I, think, we could, I think it's fair to disagree on that. But that's, that's what I see and hear when I see and hear things like, 
we want to be the apple of X. We want it to look like the cool thing of X because that's where it starts. And I think when it starts there, you're going to end up with a marketing campaign like the one they got. Like, Laura, what did you think of this marketing campaign for Jewel when you first at the party? That's yeah, designed. No, that was stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was stupid. Yeah, exactly, Rebecca. And I'm going to lead into that by saying like the question is whether like venture capital and big technology should be in charge of um addressing a public health issue and when those people are always looking for return on their investments. No. Um which leads to the marketing campaign which they model after mostly past marketing campaigns for cigarette companies. So they, and they, they acknowledge was put together in like a month or like a little bit more than a month, which wasn't perhaps a good idea. And the sort of major component of that was making this attractive to young people. So we see like glamorous young people, sophisticated young people um, making it look cool they're giving out free products. They're giving like, they're having like these like sampling bars and then they're like involving influencers, social media influencers who are then getting these free samples and promoting it on social media. And they're all like sitting around the pool and like, look at us. We are so with our like iPhone jewels uh, basically. And when you look at it now, you're like, who the fuck came up with that at the time? you can see how they came up with it. Um, in hindsight, everybody's like, that was a fucking horrible idea. Horrible idea. So, yeah. Yeah, I think like their original sin was that they didn't communicate to the creative team what the mission was or what their, who their audience was, or at the very least, who their audience shouldn't and couldn't be. Because the ads are cool, but the casting and development around it is very important. If you looked at like Ozempic and they have, you know, it's for diabetes and they cast it with middle-aged people doing athletic things or things like, oh, healthy lifestyle stuff. And then they also mention that you lose weight. If that ad campaign was a bunch of thin 20-somethings tossing around the syringes, people would think, oh, this is a weight loss drug, right? So instead of, you know, doing something, they're like, okay, we think that we can change the market by getting people to stop smoking cigarettes. They didn't communicate that at all. So they've communicated stuff. That I think that the other employees thought like resonated with them. So naturally it's going to resonate with teenagers as opposed to resonating with people who've been smoking two packs a day for four decades. And you know, you're right. They spent way too much time thinking that they were a tech company and not a tobacco company. They weren't creating the anti-cigarette. They were just creating another nicotine delivery device. A better nicotine delivery device. Uh, yeah, yeah. And if, you know, if it was, like Toby said, if it was truly a cessation device, they would have marketed it that way. And they certainly wouldn't have doubled the amount of nicotine or whatever that they did. You know, vapors who quit are no longer customers. Yeah. Right? So. Well, and also they're creating smokers. That's the thing. They're creating well, nicotine users. Nicotine users. Yeah. They're just, yeah, they're not, they're getting rid of people who smoke. They're not getting rid of people using tobacco. No, but they're creating new tobacco users. Right. Like, that's the thing that's so incredible to me is that like, I mean, Toby, the thing that like, I, I keep yeah, thinking about. Yeah, that should about, have been foreseeable. That should have been foreseeable because they created a product that delivered this addictive chemical so well. I just, there's, there's a couple of talking heads in this documentary that are like young people who you know started using jewel and it is very fucking disturbing to me what their voices sound like because you can hear it you know you can hear it in their voices my first hit of the jewel was different from others because i didn't cough the first time so that's what kind of turned me on to it me and my best friend used to smoke newports i realized it was way stronger it had a different effect uh, there's a young woman in particular who we hear throughout the documentary who talks about the first time she used it and was like, whoa. And there's a young man who says the same thing and is like, whoa, the hit, I use it, I feel relaxed, I feel good. Like, they didn't just, Toby, like, take young smokers and give them a new product. They created, like, they created more smokers than Not cigarettes. Smokers. I, they're, I'm calling them smokers. I'm sorry, they're fucking smokers. Because they, I mean, they're, they're vapors. It's fine. I mean, they're the analog. They're the equivalent of smokers. But they created nicotine users in, in, like, in such a, like a huge rate. And I found that incredible. Toby, what did you think about it when you saw these young people who are still vaping talking about the first time that they vaped? Yeah, it's not even just that they create new ones. It's they create new ones 
they're smoking the the equivalent of like two packs a day uh, because, you know, the nicotine delivery is so efficient and they can just smoke constantly because it's very hard to detect even when you're in a classroom. So it's like you're getting people from zero to freaking 180, like right off the bat. You know, what is the culpability of the founders in this situation and there's that horrible woman who keeps talking about like, oh, we're not their parents, you know, why we're their oh, parents or whatever. That fucking woman. It's like. Jewel's small. It's discreet. That wasn't made for kids that way. It was made because adult smokers also want to be discreet. How is that Jewel's fault? It's not. And I don't know why out of all the other businesses that are out there, Jewel is the one that people seem to hop on the most. Well, then why are you freaking making a nicotine product that you're marketing to look cool and have like flavors like mango and creme brulee and stuff? It's like, how is that helping get wean people off of smoking? It's just making this thing seem really attractive. And then there's just so much misinformation that's out there. I mean, they don't even really get into this, but the amount of misinformation that was circulating and they, they talked a little bit about jewel sending like people to classrooms and be like, Hey man, it's not as bad as smoking. It's, it's actually like not that bad at all. Like, ah, sweet. I'll keep it's doing just like it. It's like the then. tobacco companies did like, like the fucking fifties and sixties. Hello, what? young people <laughs> looking for something to do with your hands. <laughs> looking to make your voice sound more mature. Yeah. You drink whiskey or smoke this. Be like the cool kids. It's glamorous. Sound like freaking Harry Dean Stanton at 16. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I just kind of feel like this show, I, I think tries to play it as there are these gray areas around this and it just doesn't feel super gray to me. I think that there were just decisions that were made early on, regardless of what the original intent was and you know, whatever that, and I don't know why other people didn't realize this at the time, but making a thing that looks cool and tastes like freaking lollipops, what you're creating is something very different than getting a guy who smokes two packs a day to quit. Like there's something that you can attract those people with and not kids, not children. And part of that is not making these fun flavors and like having Bella, whatever the hell her name is, walk it around with one at, at some Bella Hadid. Yeah, exactly. At some premiere or whatever. Uh, it's just, it seems like it's so obvious but instead they went for the money. I'm really insulted that the government thinks that a lollipop flavored vape would not be something an adult would be interested in. Because <laughs> I totally would be down for that. You would as be a down for You would. I would. You I would like that. I absolutely would. You know, Toby, you were talking about like, uh, like you could just vape all day long. Some of these, you know, these things that we take are almost self-regulating with cigarettes. Like if you smoke too much at some point, like they're saying like you'll cough and you won't be able to, you know, the, that one more cigarette at some point, you're going to probably stop. If you drink too much, you'll eventually pass out. Right. And like if you just like hear advertisements for Patreon way too much, you might just fast forward. <laughs> eventually you'll give in, though. Eventually you'll give in. Yes. And then you'll that's self-regulating. You'll capitulate. It's time. Capitulate. Our Patreon is awesome. Maybe it's like a Patreon that you've been wanting to try. Maybe you've been thinking about some Patreons that like you've been thinking about joining because, you know, you're looking for some place. Maybe you're supporting someone you really believe in. How about us? Give us a try. Yeah, right. Yes, yes, yes. We're good people. We can guarantee that our Patreon does not cause as much lung cancer as the leading <laughs> cigarette. You'll look cool and glamorous talking about everything you heard at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Why don't you light up with Toby Ball in his deep dive book club? He's talking about death on W Street. Yeah. True that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We just talked. Uh, it's, it's about the murder of Seth Rich and the conspiracies that it spawned and, and just sort of the uh, the stew of conspiracy thought that kind of surrounded the 2016 election later grew into, you know, QAnon and, and, and things like that. Tastes like mango. 
Take a deep Ooh. puff of Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. This time, Laura lights up talking about goats and poison ivy. <laughs> goats and poison ivy. And on tap, if you are thinking of committing a crime and you want to know what are my rights, how does this play out for me legally, I have one of my defense attorney friends on tap to answer your legal questions in the November Leave It to Bricker. So um, if you go in the Brichter Scale group, I've put a post up. You can uh, put your questions up there. So we've got goats, we've got crime, we've got a lot going on. Whether you like to light up a cigarette or have a deep vape (laughs) after making love, do not listen to Married With Podcast. Because on that episode, Rebecca and I answer a question from a woman who says she's tired of having sex. Yes. Or does she just not want to have sex? Uh, she's she not feeling sex, sexy. But she's not feeling, she's it. not feeling it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and, we, and like, it's like... You so know she needs to slowly heat up her... No, no, uh, you know, you know, you know, you know, she, get you know, the vapors you know she is? going for you know her, what? She is? She's fucking normal yeah, is what normal. she is. She's normal as hell. So anyway. take it, yes. So take a good deep drag <laughs> on everything you can get at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. All right. Listen, um, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Eileen Moffat and Ralph Casadina. Bless you. Eileen, Ralph, I'm really, really excited for you that you got to be a part of this Patreon pitch and hear your names read by Mr. Old-Timey Radio Cigarette Chiller here. Um, Kevin, um, is there anything Lucky else? Lucky Strike is the toasted cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, toasted God. cigarette. Does that end the business section? Thus ends the business section. By the way, Rebecca... You've come a long way, baby. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and fade (laughs) that music out right now. So, Laura, before the break, we were talking a little bit about, like, the intention of harm reduction here. And I I know you have some thoughts about that. Do you want to weigh in? Yeah. So I actually just went to a training on this um, harm reduction. And and sort of the concept of that is that, you you know, you have people that are addicts. Um, Substance misuse is the term that we use now. And sort of the approach is like, okay, like, so not everybody that's, uh, you know, abusing alcohol is going to stop using it altogether, but could they cut back? Um, Somebody that, say, is using a, a hard drug, um, they might be now using like marijuana because that is a, a better choice for them and their own, you know, their situation. So when I look at the big picture, like the concept of the e-cigarette, I'm like, okay, for people that are already smokers, that are already smoking regular cigarettes. I mean, God, remember when we had like unfiltered cigarettes? No. The concept. <laughs> I'm 50, not 100. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I've been hanging out with like the cowboy crowd again, and they still smoke like Marlboros. So, um, so the concept of like the step down, like this versus that, like, yes, okay, we don't want teenagers and middle school students to be using jewels. But if we have somebody that's been a smoker for many years, this might be a less dangerous option to them. So I think in that regard, as I'm watching this, I'm like, that's something that is legit. And, you know, I think that's sort of important to recognize, but it's unfortunate that that was overshadowed by that venture capital and the investors piece and the marketing piece. And that, which actually is a sort of legit noble goal sort of gets overshadowed by the shitty part of Jewel. Yeah. So one of the things I noticed, Toby, and you were talking about her just before the break, is that marketing woman um, for Jewel who said pretty much exactly the same thing that the lawyer for the Boy Scouts said in the documentary we watched about the huge molestation problem within the Boy Scouts, which was... This is a parenting issue, not an us issue. This is like, where are, where are you guys? Like, this happens all the time. Like, where are you guys? Where are the parents? Um, how do you think people at Jewel itself should be feeling when they see somebody who's ostensibly talking on their behalf saying that in a documentary like this? What should they be feeling? 
Yes. Like homicidal. Is that, yeah. like a, <laughs> is that a possibility? Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's just so hard to know. Like when you're working at a, when you're working at a, at a company like this, that's, you know, quote unquote mission driven, like how blinded are you to the actual, like, potential effects that your product is going to have in the real world because it seems like I don't know about the founders but some of the people uh, who are talking who work there do sort of come off as being pretty sincere about thinking that this is really going to address a public health issue but at the same time what you hold in your hand when you are holding a jewel does not look like a medical device right I mean it looks like again it's like an iPod or something it's it's like something that looks cool and that's what they wanted it to be so how they weren't able to kind of see what was going on there and then the idea that marketing's like well parents we can't do your parenting job for you. It's like, well, how about not fucking making it something that's so appealing to kids? Like, why do you have to make these, these crazy flavors? Like, why not just make it taste like fucking tobacco? Like everybody who smokes, so you're, you're trying to uh, get to stop is doing it. So I, yeah, that, that whole thing, I, I can't believe she was on this documentary. Like it, it doesn't surprise me that maybe she worked there, but the idea that she got one on this documentary and nobody's like, how about just like cutting the like blaming the parents thing for this? Like, that's just yeah. not going to go well. And it's so 1980s. It just really goes is. right for it, man. Yeah. So, Kevin, one of the things that struck me was after Jewel is purchased by um tobacco company, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The tobacco parent company. The Twice. Em- yeah. The employees who worked there were talking about like going to a party and being like so embarrassed that they like worked for Jewel now, like they were ashamed. Yeah, and it was like it was like Not I even before that, right? I mean, because it, was, it yeah, just kept like, bad. I didn't want people to know that I that I worked yeah. there, like being associated with something dirty. You know, when they own a lot of them. No, I will say as much as I don't think the founders, and I, you know, I think that I'm probably the most cynical about of, of maybe of the group about the founders themselves. I think a lot of the employees were less. Um, you know, were more altruistic. Obviously, they didn't have becoming billionaires as potential, you know, as much potential for them to become billionaires as the founders. But like, they were embarrassed to be working for this company. It got that way. It got that way. I mean, you guys are right that like they do come across as having been very sincere. We don't know what was in the heart of the two founders. We've all speculated at the beginning of this review what that was all about. But I mean, I think we got to take the people who are working in the office who did speak, you know, about how they felt. They certainly thought they were getting in on the ground floor of something good and that they seem to be the ones. They were the real bellwethers here about like, oh, this is starting to list and we're going the wrong way. And talk about the ultimate shit sandwich. Let's have a an all staff meeting and you're going to find out everyone's getting a million dollars. Not everyone. And well, you think that for everyone's going to get a million dollars. Hooray. Because we just sold to Philip Morris. What? So yeah, I mean, I think that the, those folks, I mean, you could see, I, 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 I feel like they're sincere about what they thought they were getting into and expressing their misgivings. Some are still, I guess, you know, fans of jewel, um, as a company and some are, you know, really disillusioned by, what happened but i think like this overall that this documentary it felt a little more balanced than the vaping fix which was the wondery podcast that we listened to um it certainly was more sympathetic to you know the plight of jewel i think it gave sort of equal time to both sides here somewhat but i don't think it pulled the punches on jewel although last thing i want to talk about is that the whole thing about the kids getting sick from vaping like, as soon as I heard that, like, five kids from the same area all went to the hospital sick from vaping, I'm like, well, that's something wrong with the product near them, right? That's not, like, you're going to sell millions and millions of jewels, but five people in the same town are the ones that are going to get sick. It has nothing to do with the jewel. It has something to do with somebody tampered with it. And that ended up being the case. Vitamin E oil looks just like THC. You can get it right at the drugstore. You can take empty, old, discarded cartridges and fill them with vitamin E oil and say that they're THC. It had nothing to do with Juul. People were manipulating the empty Juul cartridges and putting THC in it. And then, like, 
not even THC, but this what vitamin E. Yeah, it's a good point that like the press didn't pick up on the cor- not the correction, but but yeah, the fact that okay, there may be dangers to vaping. This was not one of them. This was a product tampering issue, but it still has that bad reputation. But there are aftermarket yeah. pods you there, can put in these devices. Sure, sure, that, sure. Yeah, again, something that might have also been foreseeable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you think? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. They're they're trying to sell them in in uh, smoke stores. Yeah, like of course yeah, they're going to retrofit them. Yeah, and and like the the they the track record was when they had that PAX device, the sort of yeah. the one in between. The, that it's like people were like, no, we don't want to use the loose leaf tobacco like you suggest. We're going to put cannabis in it. So the idea that people will use these devices for other products like that also should have been. Top of mind, like yeah. when they're putting this all together, not making it look like, an, uh, you know, the next iMac commercial. Right. Well, like the only other last thing I wanted to kind of chime in about, and I think, Kevin, you might have also wanted to talk about this, was like the cartoon video graphics. Oh, those are great, right? I love the visuals. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was actually a really good way to sort of illustrate what was happening in this story instead of just using some sort of generic B-roll. So I, I did like that. Often I, I'm like, oh God, when they're doing things like that. But I thought it worked in this case. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the one thing that's, that's not explored in this, and, and maybe it's not fair to expect it, it's this expectation that if I do something really good for the world, I'll make a billion dollars. Um, that expectation, I think, really undermines a up. lot of shit. Um, yep. Because, again... If what you were truly trying to do was to wean people off cigarettes, there's a different way you would have gone about this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to be the Steve Jobs of of nicotine, and that came out in a whole bunch of different ways, like just very, very, very clearly, just even down to the fact that the guy's freaking beard but like, I'm not going to settle for, you know, whatever this is. You got to figure out how to, you know, the whole thing was like Steve Jobs. He was way, he was way more dead behind the eyes than Steve Jobs. And uh, and so, well, he did less acid. Um, yeah. So I just, I, you know, I think this idea that this huge amount of money has to be attached to these things when I think if you're really trying to get people to see smoking, you're probably doling these things out through pharmacies, right? And you're, you're trying to get it so it can be covered by health insurance and all this stuff. And you're not going to make a billion dollars. I mean, you'll probably make a really nice uh, chunk of change, but the way it's marketed, the way it's distributed, all that stuff becomes very different. It becomes like a therapy rather than a product. And it doesn't seem like they gave that any thought. So this is like, and I'll just end on this note. When something is made by its creator to be a thing that makes money, it is going to end up being bad in some way. And I'm, I, that is just a thing that I have noticed again and again and again and again and again. Like what? Uh, let's take a piece of art, for instance, right? Let's take a podcast. Let's take a book. Let's take a movie. Let's take anything. When it's made by its creator, not by its distributor, not by the person who might acquire, but when somebody makes something, a product, uh, when somebody makes something like like this, just like when somebody makes something because they want to make money, like I don't think... Steve Jobs, when he started with Apple, the idea of computer company being a billion dollar company was not a concept. That was not even a thing that was in anybody's mind, right? So Steve Jobs did not start Apple in his garage thinking I'm going to make a billion dollars. That's just indisputably true, right? So Apple ended up becoming, of course, a behemoth giant company. And everyone looks at Steve Jobs because they see him as a true visionary because he was. So there are a million people behind Steve Jobs who are like, I want to be the billionaire not, I want to be a visionary who makes something that changes the world. That's the language they use, but they actually want to be the billionaire, right? If somebody makes a piece of art that is uh, designed to make money, let's say it has a profit, like, uh, you know, model in it. they're like going a movie? Yeah. And or a, like, NFTs? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're going to cut corners, and those corners very often have human costs. It's not like somebody is is making something that then somebody sees value in and they want to elevate it and it ends up making money. There's two different ways that things become successful and juggernauts. Like I think about the scientists who make pharmaceuticals and who make who make really effective drugs. 
Uh, those scientists did not go to college to become chemists to become billionaires, right? The drug companies are the ones that are sort of like making the money off of the backs of those people. The scientists themselves did not go into that work because they thought they would individually become billionaires. Like that's the way that I think about these things. It's when a, when a person makes a thing to become rich, that thing to me almost always ends up becoming tainted or failing in some way. And that's the thing we see over and over and over again in these in these documentaries. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Big Vape, Laura Bricker? What do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this documentary series? Yeah, I'm going to give uh, this a thumbs up. I thought that this did a really great job at showing that this wasn't necessarily just like a black and white issue. There was some gray in here. It had a lot of different viewpoints. You know, we had a former tech reporter, a former talent recruiter for Jewel some sort of tobacco cigarette historian. We had the people from the Parents Against Vaping. We had an early investor. We had a lot of anonymous people that worked at Juul. I thought it gave a really good sort of comprehensive look at the rise and fall of the company. The only thing that I wish there had been a little bit more of at the end, sort of as that sort of wrap-up part, was um, for me, who's not super, and I, I hate to admit this, but like somebody who's not like, well-versed in the vaping world, I would like to know, like, people still are vaping. Like, you can still go to the store and buy something and vape. So how does Juul fit into that picture? I was hoping for sort of like a little bit more of a context at the end. Um, but overall, I thought that this was a really good look at the issue, the company, how it happened, where they went, and had a lot of uh, good, you know, opinions and viewpoint put in there. Joey Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Big Vape, the rise and fall of Jewel? Uh, yeah, I'm a thumbs up. I think it's uh, it's an important story. Um, you know, particularly like people from my generation, I don't think really necessarily understand vaping and how big it was amongst kids and 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 stuff like that. Um, I, I sort of feel like there's a bigger critique to be made uh, about founder culture and, and Silicon Valley and, you know, this sort of, and they even talk about it, about, um, the billionaire, like once, once you're a billionaire, that means you've kind of made it or whatever. And, and what does that mean, especially in sort of the public health thing like this? Uh, and they, they kind of touch about it a little bit, but in some ways I think that that may be one of the biggest things that that could come out of this story and, and it just doesn't get addressed. Uh, but that aside, it's, it's very well made. They've got a lot of voices. I guess you can kind of draw your own conclusions about how gray some of the stuff is. Um, I think they, they let some people kind of do they, you know, they give them just enough rope um, and they kind of talk themselves into be being heels. So anyway, yeah, it's a thumbs up. I it, it was good. I I I didn't have any major critiques other than I think it was, you know, it it could have been more aggressive on sort of like bigger picture issues than it was. Kevin Flynn, uh, I'm going thumbs up. I think it ends up being a really interesting story when you look at, I could say, if you don't believe it all, the origin story. If you think that all the people who were there talking about Stanford and what their intentions were, if you don't believe any of them, you think they're lying or whatever, and you think that this is just a company that started with just trying to make money, this would not be an interesting story. It'd be like any other business, and each chapter would be about the next way that they try to maximize profits. It ends up being a really interesting story in real life because they did want to start by, you know, slaying a dragon, and at the end, they became the dragon. And it's, you know, it's, it'd be a really interesting story if it were about a person, um, and here, you know, the hero slash anti-hero ends up being a company. And the things that they did, you might argue that they might have, you know, just made the problem worse. They did not set out to stop people from smoking. I guess they wanted to change them from smoking cigarettes to vaping a different tobacco product. So they weren't trying to change the world so much as they were trying to change people's behaviors to something maybe not as unhealthy, but also make a lot of money in the process. 
Anyway, I feel that the story itself was pretty well told, fairly balanced, made me think. And I think it's, uh, you know, we are still in the middle of this history being written, but this is, um, you know, a very good first installment on the corporate history of Jewel. Yeah, I'm thumbs up too. I disagree with you, Kevin, because I was really cynical about the founders and I still thought I think it's an interesting story um, because there are people in the documentary who say like this thing helped me. And I think that that's, you know, somewhat interesting to hear because I have, you know, you know, my own take on it. And I just want to be clear, by the way, I have no like I do not blame people who vape at all. Like, I just I do want to say to them, like, hey, I wish you would stop that after watching this, because I know that. I mean, I knew it was really bad for you, but now I especially know how bad. It'd be harder than cigarettes, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And now I especially know how bad for you it is. I just want to reach out and give you a hug and say, you should maybe stop that. Anyway, um, I there is I do have one. This is a thumbs up, but I do have one sort of big media criticism of this. They are over-reliant on one of the talking heads who is just a really bad talking head. <laughs> um, and uh, this talk, particular talking oh, head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I believe this person authored the book on the subject, and she is just not a good talking head. And the documentary is way too reliant on her doing some of the narrative connective tissue, and it, it's glaring for me. So that's my one very big Criticism of this, um, if it weren't for that, I'd be giving it a more enthusiastic thumbs up. That being said, I am a thumbs up. It's an interesting series and and worth watching and plenty of material in there that you probably don't know about vaping and about Juul. I mean, I thought I knew a lot about it, but turns out I didn't. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of the the week. The owners of a gas station on Vancouver Island in British Columbia reported an unusual shoplifting incident. A black bear walked into the Tipton gas bar before dawn. He sniffed around before picking an appropriate snack. The bear took some gummy bears. The owner watched the whole thing while drinking a cup of coffee behind the counter. The animal then took the package of gummy bears and ate them in the parking lot like a freaking boss. Wildlife officials say the drought has made it hard for the bears to scavenge for food, so they wander closer and closer to humans and their convenience stores. There was no property damage, and the bag of gummy bears only cost 70 cents. But the owners have learned an important lesson about leaving the door closed. So panel, who knew bears liked gummy bears? Who will break into this gas station next? Laura Ricker, what do you think? Um... Toby Ball looks like he's already broken into this gas station. So that's my answer. (laughs) What do you think, Toby? Who is next to break into this gas station? The salmon are spawning, Rebecca, and they want some (laughs) Swedish fish. (laughs) What do you think, Kevin? Mango Mike is going into the produce section. Oh, very, very good. All right. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, I have to ask. Do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat of the week this week. It comes to us from Jennifer Little McCord, one of our uh, regular contributors in our Facebook discussion group. And it is a picture of a black cat and a raccoon. And they are out having a little snack next to a sign that says, Stop the Kill, Bibb County Coroner's Office. Wow. They're clearly eating outside. And the Stop the Kill has like fake blood like running down from the letters on the sign. Um, Jennifer says, these two cats are outside a dry cleaner in my town. They are clearly influencers and trying to spread the word to stop crime. Wow. So thank you, Raccoon and Black Cat. Raccoon and Black Cat, our Cats of the Week. All right, Laura Bricker, folks want to pitch any kind of animal to be Cat of the Week. It can be your pet. It can be someone else's pet. It can be your cat or a non-cat. How can they find you on social media? It can be Kevin Flynn, who is like the pet of the week in the Facebook jail. That's um, you right. can find me um, at Laura Bricker on Twitter. Uh, of course, you can also email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com. Toby Ball, how can you be found on social media? Uh, at Toby Ball, NH, and whatever they're calling Twitter these days. What about you, Kevin Flynn? I can't be found. I'm on the social media break. I mean, an involuntary social media break, but <laughs> I'll eventually get back. 
Yeah, but you're on other platforms, right? Whatever. I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. If you want to follow me everywhere, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. I tweet a lot, and I also post photos of our dogs frequently on Instagram. You can also follow the show everywhere at Crime Writers On. We're also on YouTube, by the way. And I encourage you truly to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just look for us on Facebook when you find our page. There's a pin post there to join the group. We'll let you in, and you will love it, I promise. It's a great freaking group. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll also get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredible Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet, in our New Hampshire basement, where we also try to remove all the toxic content and leave behind just the addictive stuff. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. My mom used to smoke like a chimney when I was a kid. She used to stand underneath a kitchen fan. Mm Mm-hmm. And take these deep drags. Just let it suck straight up in the air. (laughs) As if if that was helpful for us in any way. That was like our weak-ass kitchen fan. Just anyway. um. Uh, Well, I had a brief phase after college when I used to go to Cigar Night every Thursday um, with all of the area media. It was like the place to be where I decided I was going to start smoking cigarettes when I was out having cocktails um, after work. And then one night... I don't know what came over me. I just kept smoking cigarettes and smoking more cigarettes. And my editor said, Laura Bricker, I didn't know you liked cigarettes. And I said, I love cigarettes. (laughs) And I was like, I love cigarettes. And I got sicker than I have ever been in my life. Yeah, it's, yeah. Throwing up. I can't even like look at a cigarette. So I was cured. So I, I did not need mango or mint or creme brulee. Um, but I want to say, Rebecca, real quick, like, I want to say one of the...